Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. This is the show that gives a voice to topics that are often kept silent. Today I'm chatting to Emily Ratajkowski. You are objectified, you're sexualized at maybe very young, even if you're a woman who's, you know, done a bunch of amazing journalistic work, like there is kind of this push to be also hot and celebrated in that way. And then on the other side of it, there's this sort of shaming that comes with it of like, well, now nobody's going to take you seriously because, you know, you're a slut, quote unquote, or even from feminists, I think that there's this feeling of like, well, now you've, you've played into the male gaze, so therefore you're not progressive, you're not helping women. Emily began her acting career as a child and has gone on to star in numerous huge films as well as work as a model. In 2021, she published a collection of essays in her book, My Body. It's a deeply thoughtful commentary on what it's like to be a woman working in an industry that wants to commodify and objectify you. Now she's carrying on the conversation with her podcast, Hilo, with Emrata. Basically, across as many platforms as possible, she's using her celebrity to speak out in favour of female sexual empowerment and against body shaming. And I was so, so interested to have this chat with her because I'll be honest, there's so much within these conversations that I feel conflicted about or don't know what I'm meant to think about it. I'm just generally very confused and I really want to learn more from someone who's really done a lot of hard work thinking about this subject. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, let's get cracking. Here is the show. Emily. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? How's your day gone so far? Well, you're sort of early morning still your end. Yes, I'm doing well. Um, I mean, not early. It's 11. Um, and my son wakes up at this morning. He woke up at 630. So I've sort of had a little bit of the day already. 630 is not bad. I would class that as almost a lion. So he sleeps till eight sometimes, which when I tell other moms that they, yeah, they always make that face. Um, so <laughs> 630 feels early to me. Um, but yes. I'm very fortunate that he's not somebody who wakes up at in the middle of the night at four o'clock and wow. is ready to go. And how, yeah. he's, he's little still, isn't he? Yeah, he's 20 months. Eight's phenomenal. I mean, I've got a nearly 10 year old and he's still up at six every day. He's like ready to I, go. Yeah, I could see that happening as he gets older. What time does your, do your ears go to bed? Eight, half eight. Okay. So Sly goes to sleep at seven and then normally sleeps 12 wow. hours, but that... sometimes 
I know. An angel. I know. I I'm blessed. <laughs> it's I truly, amazing. I'm like, if there's, uh, I believe in karma because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, some. This is God repaying me. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I well, I'm I'm chuffed for you. I'm not even jealous. I'm happy for you. It's it's a very beautiful thing. Um, Emily, congratulations on the release of your podcast, Hilo. How are you feeling about it being out in the world? It's a relatively scary prospect. It is scary. Um, I think the thing with that I love about podcasting is that, you know, there's so many episodes and it's going to accumulate and then people will kind of have a sense of the tone. But for the week one, I think what I'm dealing with is like the feeling of, oh, people are just going to think these two episodes represent the entire podcast. So I'm very anxious to kind of get more out there and I'm just, I need to trust the process. Uh, but it's been amazing. I was walking my dog yesterday and a woman like stopped me and was like, I listened to the episode. I have so many thoughts, like went into this whole thing about her feelings around what we had talked about. And I, I it felt really good. So well, I'm it's excited. A, it's an amazing punchy start because the first episode, which I love listening to, discussed and debated whether it's okay to have sex on the first day or not, which is there's obviously no wrong or right, but a really juicy yeah. debate. And I think a really important subject in general. I sometimes feel nervous to walk into a conversation publicly about sex and I need to desperately mm-hmm. get over that. But I think there is still a hell of a lot of judgment around it, probably yes. more um, focused on women, sadly, but I think there is a lot of judgment. Mm-hmm. Saying that, there there will be judgment from men, but I think a lot of the mm-hmm. time it is other women judging other women about sex. Mm, Yeah. I feel like women need to talk about sex more. um, And it's sort of, you know, each week we're doing one solo episode and then one episode with a guest. And I had um, Alex Cooper from Call Her Daddy on who obviously, you know, Call Her Daddy is like such a sexual podcast. And I liked the idea of the conversation kind of going hand in hand. But I feel like now everyone is like, so is she like our modern day Carrie Bradshaw? Like, is this, is the, is the, you know, whole thing, is the whole podcast going to be about sex? But I think that women talking to each other about sex is the only way that we can protect ourselves and also have better sex and just change a lot of the, the, you know, things that happen with women around sex, like just, just make it more enjoyable for women. So I do think, you know, there is a taboo, but I think it's super important that we, we change that. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to the stats that you were discussing around women having orgasms and it being very, very low. Oh, my God. Seven. Per- I've brought this damn statistic up so many times. Yeah. And what's funny is um, I had a dinner with uh, like five of my girlfriends and they were like, oh, my God, only seven percent of the time that a woman first time she hooks up with a guy has an orgasm only seven percent of the time. And one of my friends was like, those women are lying. Mm, yeah it's that literally a no response. percent job he was like no it's it's lower than seven percent <laughs> and I was like oh my god wow so it's just so bleak it's so bleak it's so bleak but you're right you know we need to bring these statistics and questions and matters for debate to the surface and I think if you look at you know our parents are my grandparents mm. have all passed away but a grandparents generation they certainly didn't and don't talk about sex so do you feel a bit of a duty to break that generational chain yes it's really funny you bring it up because I obviously what I mean my parents weren't at the forefront of my mind when I was making the podcast and thinking about the first episode and they obviously were so excited to hear it and then um they both wrote me and were like wow um (laughs) so uh I was I was reminded how generational like 
it you know how inappropriate it feels so they're in their they're in their 70s 70 and 75 and you know they're children of the 60s but they're definitely not used to hearing women in particular but I think really anybody talk about sex the way that I was talking about it in the first episode so yeah it's brilliant Oops, sorry I mean, I think we, but we all feel that don't we like I, even if I'm watching a film with my parents and there's something a bit sexy I'm like oh mm-hmm. god this is just profoundly awkward it's it's still mm-hmm. you know it's still there and I think you know you're right we just need to talk about it and have really healthy conversation about it and I was I was so so excited to talk to you today for many reasons but your book, My Body, which I have right here. Oh, nice. You got um, the paperback too. Great. <laughs> oh, I, I loved reading this book and it, oh Thank my you. God. I mean, it made me sit and think about so many things that have happened in my own life and mm. it made me really consider, I guess, my own body, but also all of the... Um, misinformed assumptions I've made about the female body and the judgment that I still have that I need I want all of it to just like rise to the surface and your book Mm. was certainly a catalyst for a lot of that and I think oh that makes me so happy yeah I I mean I I had certainly one personal conclusion which was that Mm. I'm obsessed with the female body but equally Mm. as sort of terrified of it at the same time Mm. and that's that's something I've been mulling over a lot and I think it's informed a lot of how um, I've acted over the years and how I've expressed myself so say in my 20s I did what's called over here a lads mag so it's basically like you do Mm -hmm. a sexy shoot you're wearing like a PVC outfit and then you know men read the magazine and I've now in my 40s looked back and um I've sort of spoken openly and said, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, regret about that or I felt shame. Mm. And then I, I, after reading your book, I thought, but but do I? Or do I just mm. think that I should say that? You know, do I actually feel that bothered about having done that? And I don't I don't think mm. I do. Huh. That's so interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think women get it from both sides. It's something that I'm definitely talking about on the podcast a lot, sort of just because we've been backlogging these episodes and I realized, oh, I'm definitely obsessed with this kind of idea of being you know you both obviously feel the pressure to you know or this just the world we live in where you are objectified you you know do you're sexualized at maybe very young even if you're a woman who's you know done a bunch of amazing journalistic work like there is kind of this push to be also hot and celebrated in that way and then on the other side of it there's this sort of shaming that comes with it of like well now nobody's going to take you seriously because you know you're a slut, quote unquote, or even from feminists, I think that there's this feeling of like, well, now you've you've played into the male gaze. So therefore, you're not progressive, you're not helping women. And you know, that's really what the book is kind of dealing with, because that's been my experience, even before I was a model or in the public spotlight, just, you know, as a 13 year old getting dressed and kind of like having a new body and having a woman's body for the first time and feeling the attention from men when I dressed a certain way, um, also like feeling afraid because of the attention, also feeling validated because of the attention, then, you know, having teachers snap my bra strap and feeling like I was typecast in a certain way because of, you know, the the way I was presenting myself. So it's complicated. And I think it's something um, we just get it from all sides, really. Yeah. And, you know, is there a conclusion? Because I think that's the question that I kept asking myself mm-hmm. when I was reading your book is, but wait, can a woman, and I, and I want the answer to be yes as a feminist, mm-hmm. but can, 
can a woman show her sexiness? Can she express her sexual desires, dress in an overtly sexy way and be listened to and be taken mm. seriously and be respected? I, I don't know if that is true in the day and age that we're in today. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. I think it's really complicated. I think there are examples of women who've managed it. Jane Fonda is somebody who's done done both. There are examples for sure. Um, I even think like, Megan the Stallion is somebody who, you know, people respect, but she also, I mean, music is kind of its own category, interestingly, but there, there are examples. Uh, I would even say Cardi B is a great example. I mean, against all odds, she's had to fight and work for it. And she deals with race, which is a whole other factor of people not taking you seriously. But, uh, I think the issue is that, you know, what a lot of feminists would say is like doing something to feel good. If it's playing into the male gaze, then it's ultimately actually hurtful and harmful to women. My issue is like, God, doesn't kind of everything we do, like in some ways play into that, Um, like even just putting on mascara in the morning and making sure that like our skin looks a certain way. And um, one of the episodes I'm doing, the question I'm asking is, can you be a feminist and get plastic surgery? Because I'm just interested in the kind of lines that women draw around what they feel is feminist and is okay and how, you know, just what kind of shirt you wear on a given day to work or just not even to work, just out on the streets in public. Yeah. So, you know, it's something I'm really fascinated by. And I would say that I don't have an answer. I think ultimately when I think about what I want for the world, sorry, there's a very large dog in my home. <laughs> um, I just chucked uh, my cat out of my little studio because he was terrorizing everything on my desk. So I, I feel your, your pet pain. Um, he's a 90 pound dog and he just sometimes has emotions. <laughs> um, where were we? Well, I guess I would like to pick up on that because I think surely as feminists, which I'm sure most women would uh, align with the ethos of being a feminist, it's all about doing what makes you feel good. And of course, if you're, you know, looking into these subject matters and and we can all predict that somebody might say, you know, you're not being progressive by showing your body or whatever it might be. But that depends on surely where the control lies. But also there's assumptions afoot there because what if you're not, you know, getting your boobs out or wearing something sexy for men? What if you're doing it because it makes you feel good? It's about you. It's about mm. you expressing your your sexuality and your mm. desire. So I think there are just mm. so many layers of assumption that need to be removed. It's hard because I do think sometimes the reason that those things make us feel good is because of the culture that we live in that is, you know, really defined by males' desires and and you know, what it looks good and whatever. But yeah, ultimately, I mean, my goal for women is for them to feel unburdened and happy and free to make choices. So, you know, when you have to kind of think about not only how you're going to be judged and perceived by men and written off and whatever else, but then also think about whether or not, you know, your personal decisions are politically progressive for women like it's exhausting and I I do think that there's a younger generation who just isn't concerned about this you know like they're they've surpassed this and you know a woman can have an OnlyFans even and be a feminist but I I it's something that comes up for me kind of every day and you know there was a period actually when the book was published a year ago where I really thought about how I was presenting myself in the world 
And even if I wanted, let's say I was at the beach and I was wearing a bathing suit and somebody took a picture of me and I was like, oh, this is a cute picture of me. I would not have posted it because I knew that people were going to say, oh my God, she's sexualizing herself, blah, blah, blah. This, you know, image of her body is harmful to other women, all the things that people say, which, you know, I'm not discrediting, but I am, I am saying I definitely would consider that. And I've sort of now a year later decided that I really don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to have to kind of like worry about being taken seriously um, and not enjoy my life because, you know, people are going to say that me wearing a certain dress or posting a certain picture is problematic when it's just kind of like who I am and it's just a part of my life so and it's it's your body it's your body at the end of the day like this is the bit that I think you know it's it's the whole subject confuses me and I think everything you've just said Mm -hmm. is exactly why I don't post pictures of my body at all because of that fear Mm -hmm. that I spoke about earlier I'm sort of obsessed but terrified of the female body because of the judgment the desire like everything that comes with any female's beautiful, amazing, unique body mm-hmm. scares the shit out of me. And I, I'm i sat here talking to you with full admiration, like, yeah, post those pictures. Oh, my God, be liberated, be free, break mm. all the rules. Don't worry what everyone else thinks. And mm. I, it's really sort of taken me aback and, and made me think about, well, why haven't I posted a picture of me looking amazing? And it goes back to, you know, there's pictures I've got of me when I'm in my 20s doing these lad mags. I should mm-hmm. look back at those and think, I'm so glad I did that. I've got these, these you know, very cool, unique images where I was really celebrating my own body and, and I was quite happy mm-hmm. in the moment to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so there's still all this kind of confusion and stuff in my head where I just need to unpick it all and work out how have I been influenced and where have those influences come from to inform why I'm blocking myself or, you know, I might not have the desire to post a picture of my body, but but I would certainly like to investigate, you know, that question, I guess. I mean, I think even if you're choosing not to be sexual or not sexualize yourself or self-objectify, or I mean, there's a million different ways that one could describe this sort of expression as, you're still responding to what women deal with, right? There's this amazing Margaret Atwood quote that I'm going to butcher right now, where she says, like, everything, everything we do is a response to sort of like the patriarchy, essentially. So even deciding to cover your body, and to present yourself a certain way is still responding to men. Yeah. So like, when are we going to be free? I basically? know. Um, well, I was blinded. And I, do I was blinded that to that. I, I had, I didn't realize that until I read your book and I was like, oh no, mm. no, I'm, I'm, I am still reacting to that. And, and often in ways that feel impossible to articulate. So for instance, I mean, not so much I'm in my 40s, but certainly in my 20s when I was walking down the street, if a builder sort of wolf whistled me, I would have mm. a visceral reaction of a rage inside me. Yes. And I don't I don't even know what that is, but it would be this insane, like tension, rage, like I want to shout, but then I can't be bothered to get into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is, is that a fear of, I don't know, what is that? Is that a lack of control? I think it's a lack of control. I think it's like also, it feels like somebody is turning you into something that you're not. Um, I have this memory that I actually thought about writing about and I didn't didn't end up finding a place in the book where I was, I think I was 15 and I went to the beach um, with a guy 
And um, I was in a bathing suit and I grew up in Southern California. Like everyone wears kind of these, like, you know, relatively not covered bathing suits can like compared to what the rest of the world does. It's just the culture of San Diego beach culture. And um, I was 15 years old. And I remember these two guys who were definitely dads. They were like in their forties and they started like hooting and hollering. And I mean, my, the guy I was with at the time, I remember he was so young looking, he had like acne and everything. So they knew how old we were. And I started screaming back at them. I was 15 and I was like, you know, cursing and whatever. And the guys were like, well, then don't wear something like that if you don't want that attention. And ever since then, I, and then it was like embarrassing for everyone. Like the boy didn't know what to do. I, you know, felt responsible for making the guy feel uncomfortable. I obviously felt bad at myself, but my first instinct was what you're describing, like absolute rage. And I think it's like, it's the disturbing of just you, you want to be able to not only be safe and feel like you're walking and, you know, in the world where you're not going to be whatever, but just that turning, turning your existence into this, like, as if you're walking down the street in whatever outfit you're in is for someone else. And there's such a disrespect, like they don't, when a construction worker whistles at you, they're not hoping that you like, all of a sudden they're like, okay, let's go. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's like, they don't want you to respond. You are just, you are not a person anymore. And I think that's, there's so many levels of disrespect to it, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really disempowering feeling. And and my producer and I were talking about this before we logged on to speak to you today, Emily, because I mean, I, I have very small boobs. I have a flat ass, flat tits, flat ass. Producer Anushka doesn't have very big boobs. But we were talking about friends of ours, women that we know, who just happen to have boobs. They just happen to have mm-hmm. boobs. They just happen to have hips. They could be wearing any type of clothing, but they have that sort of desirable female beautiful body that you would assume men would then stare at the boobs, stare at the, the bum, make a comment, whistle. And it's like, that that's just their body. They just, any clothes mm. are going to accentuate. If you've got big boobs and you've got mm. hips and that sort of classic silhouette that we're so bombarded with, and that mm. you're so disempowered in that moment, you're completely out of control. And then I think that's where people then start to hook into shame, self-loathing, wanting to cover up, hide their body, because it all it, it seems to all boil down to, to control. I mean, I think whether or not you have a body like that, I mean, my friends, it first of all, nobody feels like they have the ideal body. I mean, that's just, that's the truth. You, as a woman, you're critical of yourself. But I mean, so you both, I think women in general, no matter what you look like, you feel like, okay, here are these things that I know can be sexualized about me, like this element, that element, whatever. And then on the other side, you know, like, I hate all these things about myself. And I don't know, I just, yes, of course, those women in that particular, but I feel like all of my friends, no matter their size or shape, experience this in some ways. Obviously, my experience was very specific, because I use my body as a commodity, and basically to you know, gain status and power and and money and have a career. And my experience with that was really heightened. But, you know, my friends who are preschool teachers and work as lawyers and work in whatever industry, they still have that negotiation. They still have that experience just because they're women. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I know that it's not your your favourite subject to talk about, but obviously the Blurred Lines video caused great debate because everybody had an opinion, everybody had a, a very sort of different perspective as to how that visual of three beautiful women dancing around three men felt to them. And I know that this is the other important thing, is that if you're going to be a feminist, as women, we need to support all women in their ever undulating thoughts and opinions towards something. I know that your opinions have changed over the years as to how you Mm -hmm. feel about that video and as to how Mm -hmm. you feel about the commentary around it, more importantly, and the the huge storm that I don't think you even saw coming after that video was released. No, definitely. I mean, I I don't mind talking about it. There's an essay in the book about Lord Lines because it was at one point something I really didn't like talking about. But, you know, actually my personal evolution around that video and um, building kind of uh, a memory of it in a way that I I hadn't, Um, I just didn't think about my personal experience shooting it and so many of the other things. It was really important for me to write about it. But yeah, I really believe in evolution of thought. I think it's something that we don't really have enough of in our culture right now. I think everybody wants, you know, if you put it, first of all, everybody is putting hot takes out constantly. And like, it's this culture of kind of like competing for the best opinion and best hot take. And nobody wants to be wrong. And nobody wants to change their mind. I don't personally think that's good for the world. I think it's really important that we evolve in our thinking and our politics, and even in the way that we relate to our personal experiences. And you know, I'm somebody who has what blurred lines since 2013. It's almost 2023. I've been in the public's eye for a long time. And I don't know for sure, but I would imagine in another 10 years, I'll have sort of a completely different idea around feminism. And also, you know, I'm just kind of like asking questions. So I'm looking for the answers and I don't pretend to know the answers. And I'm hoping that at some point I'll feel like, okay, this is how women should be. This is what this means. But really what I like to do is, and why I wrote the book and why I'm even doing this podcast is like opening up the conversation so that women can weigh in and we can kind of all decide collectively what what the answer to these things are. So yeah, no, I don't mind talking about blurred lines. And yeah, no, I definitely had a very particular kind of reaction to um, the way that the world saw the video. And then it took me, it took some years to sort of digest really how I felt about it. So how do you, how do you feel about it today with this, you know, because I, I'm the same, you know, thank God I don't think like I did in my twenties, you know, I've had Hmm, 20 years more life experience and, and things that have informed my decisions that I make today. And I'm not, I, I think the work that I've had to do is to look back at my younger self and not, feel embarrassed by her or Mm -hmm. ashamed by her and go yeah I was just learning and doing my best at the time and I think that's so important but but how how do you feel about that the reaction to the video today what's your take on it I think it's really complicated I can I I basically you know wrote the essay because there's so much nuance around that experience like 
even just shooting it um, because, you know, the director and most of the crew were women, which not a lot of people knew. And so there were a lot of reasons that that video turned out the way it did. And it's because I felt so comfortable on set. It was, there was this sort of feeling of respect and control that I wasn't used to as a working model um, that happened on that set. I also was like groped on that set by one of the men and was treated completely disrespectfully. And both of those things happened within one day of work. And, you know, as far as kind of the the actual video and how it was received, I think there's also, it's really, if it was just a video of naked girls, you know, being sexy around some men, I think that it wouldn't have been a hit. I mean, I think that like, there's levels to that video that are interesting that made people kind of like huh it's kind of funny there's this feeling of like the women rolling their eyes whatever and then there's like these really clear just like blatantly obvious misogynist tropes um so I I have I feel many ways about it um to be honest I'm I also think you know I am glad I did it I I think it's really funny that or not funny but there's something that is really important about acknowledging that that is sort of how my career kicked off. And, you know, I had just dropped out of college. I had always seen myself as somebody who was going to work in art. I wanted to be a writer. And it took me 10 years basically to be able to actually, or eight years to do what I really wanted to do with my life. But I was given this massive platform because I had commodified my image and my body and sexualized myself. So now I'm talking about the things that I've always cared about, but like, let's all remember how I got here. I think it's, it's, you know, really complicated. And then you hear the word empowerment so much. And when we have these conversations and I'm like, okay, can someone just clarify what empowering means? Because, you know, I was given this platform and this ability to write this book and people to care about it through power, right? Some kind of power um, through fame, whatever, but then also did not feel empowered at all and was actually like quite depressed while I was working only as a model because I didn't feel like I had control. It's but no, I mean, basically. yeah, of course, nothing. There is no simple route, is there? I, you know, I feel, I feel, you know, kind of similar to to your um, path to to get to where you're at today. I I love the work I do today. I feel deeply passionate about it. But I did twenty odd years before that of TV shows where mm. um, I don't look down on them. I don't think that I'm doing anything that's better today, but I certainly wasn't as happy then and I wasn't making mm. choices that came completely uh, intuitively. But of course, you know, mm. you're young, you're climbing the ladder, you're you are you are doing things at times to pay the bills or to just mm-hmm. get ahead or to make contacts and There is no perfect route to get anywhere, but you can use, of course, all of those learnings and all of those things that you experience, good and bad, in the work that you do deeply care about. So Mm -hmm. I get it. You know, it's not simple. It's 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 extremely complicated. And it's why I. I, I'm so intrigued about this subject matter and, and I and I massively value your honesty on it. You know, you're not kind of... Thank you. Yeah, but, you you know, in your book and in the work that you're doing, you're not pretending otherwise. You're just sort of laying it all out on the table and going, you know, let's let's have a look at this together so that it is helpful. And, um, and I think it is, and I think, you know, it's also courageous to highlight the bits where you did feel deeply uncomfortable because you've said that, you know, you had a female crew, which was wonderful and reading that part of the book I thought oh yeah I could see how that would feel very comfortable and by the way I think everyone's take on that video was different but I remember initially seeing that video and thinking amazing you know three Mm -hmm. gorgeous women 
sort of mocking three desperate looking men you know that was like that was my <laughs> I think that take. was honestly the the director's idea yeah. um but you know it was it was it's complicated because it's also still three men in a suit and yeah I mean there's so many I you know I did I had never even heard the song before I got to set that day and wasn't honestly even paying attention to it and then there's the whole thing with the lyrics like the lyrics are problematic unquestionably Mm. And also, like you've just said, you know, you got groped on the set. He totally crossed a boundary. Did you feel at that point, like walking out, like you would, did you feel scared at that point? No, I was embarrassed. I wanted to just um, like slip past that and pretend like it hadn't happened, Mm. which I did. I did. Yeah. And is that something that you've had to sort of readdress later down the line? Because I think, you know, when you have those moments where you go, oh, my God, I'm not even going to pay attention to that emotionally or physically. Did you have to pay for that down the line? It was a memory that went away. Um, I mean, it was something that I like told, I think, an ex-boyfriend or something about. um, And I brought it up one time to the director, like, oh, God, like, I saw that he had blocked me on Instagram and I was like, why would he have blocked me on Instagram? And then I was like thinking about all of our interactions. And then I remembered what had happened on set, but I really had pushed it out of my mind. I think it's really difficult for women to advocate for themselves because you don't want to make yourself bigger and you don't want to be demanding. Um, And unfortunately, often protecting women isn't the priority in the workplace or even in um, social situations. And I've learned the hard way that you know even when it feels really uncomfortable you you do need to speak up but when you're 21 it's really difficult to to feel like you would make a problem out of anything like that and um i just didn't want to so but even now at 31 i still find myself i'm shocked sometimes to find the like to catch myself in the hesitancy of advocating for myself and yeah I mean I absolutely know that feeling is that a fear that you'll be uh, rejected or misunderstood or I don't know I'm trying to think of how how I feel about it in those situations because I've got certainly better at saying no I I don't really want to do that but it's taken me I just don't want to be a pain in the ass I'm so worried about being polite and easy and a nice nice girl you know um I really I don't want anyone to think I'm I mean it got to a point where I would show up to work or somebody's office for a meeting and they'd ask me like would you like anything to drink and the thought of somebody going to get me a drink I'd be like no no even when I was super thirsty or um like when people ask like is the temperature okay I'd be like yeah even if I was freezing um these things are so simple but I had to start to be yeah and I was Uh, like why do I do that like I'm I'm cold. Like yeah. I, I do. And they're asking <laughs> I'm literally me. freezing and so thirsty. <laughs> yeah. So why don't I get, why don't I just take care of my body? I mean, and, and somebody's asking me, oh, but even God, if they I aren't asking me, why don't I say like, Hey, it's a little cold in here. You know, I, um, I, know. I, I have it all the time. I, I still do it. You know, like I'll be in a taxi and they'll be playing some really depressing sort of talk radio. And I think, oh, I don't really want this before I go and do a podcast or talk about something that's, you know, quite sensitive. But I, I grin and bear it rather than say, oh, would you mind turning the radio down? Yeah, and you're Pathetic. paying for the cab. I know. It's, so why, yeah. It's absolutely I, mad. It's really, it's really crazy. Um, and I do think that's female specific. I think, you know, men do that too, but I do think like women tend to do that more and it's culturally, it's cultural programming. Yeah. And obviously you've had to deal with that in quite huge quantities when you're on shoots, when you are sort Mm. of manhandled, touched a lot by, by people you don't know very well, when you're having your makeup done, put in 
places, you know, you've got to take your clothes off. And you have Mm -hmm. said that previously you've really disassociated to what's going on around you in those moments and sort of numbed yourself to get through it. Is that has that got easier? Yes, but um, only because of where I am in my career. I mean, you know, it's funny. I didn't even know that I disassociated until I was rereading the writing from the book and um, was like, huh, this sort of, this sounds like disassociation, Um, but I wouldn't have named it that. I just was describing my experience, you know, and it it wasn't something I was like, I'm going to write about disassociation. It was like, let me write about like, what do I experience in my body when I'm on these sets versus at a spa where I feel really comfortable at the Korean spas in LA. And that's when I first realized like, right, I completely leave my body. I'm not there anymore. I think now I work with people of a certain caliber who have more respect for the models, but they're also artists. And honestly, I think also just being who I am in the world, like talking about these things have made people be more respectful and be more considerate of these things. And also the own, my own work that I've done around them. I, I, I am better at it basically, but it, it is funny. I mean, even just being, I did a bunch of jobs last week and I just, you know, it's not, people sometimes ask me like, Oh, do you love modeling? And it's like, no, I don't love modeling. Like I'm not, it's not, doesn't make me feel super engaged or fulfilled. I love the people that I've met. I love being a part of projects with really creative, amazing people, which I am lucky enough to do. But, you know, that's why I'm so excited about the podcast. That's why I think my, the way I see myself has changed so much since I wrote the book, because I made myself feel like a fuller, more, more than a one dimensional person. Yeah. When that's, you know, what I write about, it's that's, that is to me, what I, what I've experienced as empowerment. Yeah is making things and being proud of them and, and having that control. Yeah, and I guess showing all parts of yourself. You know, that's the interesting thing when we talk yeah. about the female body is as soon as there's a tension on a female body, they become only that. And it's like nobody is one thing. You're, you're not just your physical expression. There's so many layers and things going on, and that's why it's brilliant that you're doing all these other things. I mean, this this global obsession with the female body that has been around since the beginning of time is again no easy subject because it's there's so much celebration and admiration for the female body but that also in turn causes us women pain because there's so much focus Mm -hmm. on it and I think with the addition now of social media uh, in in the modern age Mm -hmm. you know we're all looking at each other and and you you even talk in in the book about you comparing yourself to other women and looking for flaws and Mm -hmm. looking for outside validation has that got any better with age do you feel less inclined to look in the other lanes and to look at other people's bodies or to or to look for that outside validation yes well I have found in the last couple years of my life that the relationships I have with women and the conversations that I have with women are what bring me the most happiness and joy. And I'm just sort of done with the comparing thing because I've realized that so much of that is just about, it's, I mean, it's a wonderful way to divide women. And I also think that it's just so much about how men view us and like us judging our self-worth And, you know, I think it's a survival instinct when women compare themselves to other women. They're thinking like, what are the attributes that make this person, they're going to have a better life than me. And there's this sort of scarcity mindset too, of like, they are going to succeed. They're going to have all the things that I don't have because I don't have 
these qualities, you know, in my physical attributes or otherwise. And I just realized this is like, it's so sad because it's such a symptom of essentially oppression. So once I sort of was able to really understand that and get underneath it, I absolutely stopped comparing myself to other women. Um, there's enough there we can all do well in our lives and we don't need to take other women down in the process of trying to succeed. Mm, you're right. It's the perfect way to pit women against other women. And I think the media are wonderfully, um, you know, they can achieve that very easily. They're experts at it with people in the public eye or whether it's in the world of politics, sports, wherever it might be. It, it's so easy for them to do that and for that to be sadly fed down and and for it to become a very normalised feature of everyday life that we just compare other women, you know, women to other women or what one person's doing to the other. And, you know, even prior to social media, I'm pretty sure we had all done it growing up with looking at your new boyfriend's ex-partner, like the perfect place to mm-hmm. like compare yourself and yeah. pit yourself against them and where do I fit into this hierarchy? You know, we've 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 all been doing it for a long time and again... I guess it's just having that awareness, isn't it? So you can you can make those changes. Yes. I mean, I my mom, certainly, I write about in the book, like she compared herself to other women all the time. And I learned it, you know, from her. But yeah, I think, you know, so much of the, the stuff that we're talking about, like it's easy to be like, oh, as a celebrity or as a public figure, you're experiencing these things. But I think that all women experience, especially because of social media, like we're thinking about how to present ourselves and be just being perceived and that comes with comparisons and everything else like we're all thinking about that because we all are participating in posting images of ourselves and even if it's not a way that you make a living it's certainly a part of your identity and our world now so i i I think it's really important that we think about these things not just because of like what you know celebs and all of that or models or whatever it's like all women are experiencing this every time they post something. Yeah, totally. I mean, you just happen to have that on a huge scale because you've got an insanely massive following. How much power do you give your audience in terms of your self-worth? How how much of your your self-worth, <laughs> whether it even is just purely looking at your physical body, do you, do you hand over to your audience? It's so hard because I think um, people always ask me sort of like, do you, how do you handle the negative, like the haters and the trolls and the comments and Um, I would just be lying if I said that I didn't care at all, because the truth is, is, you know, like around the book and stuff, it's like, of course, I want the book to be well received. And the second that you start valuing praise, then that means that you just value other people's opinions. I do think that I've done a recently, even a maybe a better job of just being like, fuck it, basically. Um, And, you know, having a child has really helped me with that, because I'm just thinking about how how I can appreciate the the life that I lead and the day to day with him and wanting to be a happy mother so that he's happy. And that just means that I just, I, first of all, I don't have as much time to care about what other people think, but also it means that I'm almost more connected to what I actually want and what brings me joy and my instincts. So I'd say that it's gotten better, but yeah, also I would be lying if I said I I didn't care at all. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to be a robot to have any Mm. kind of negative commentary and to be like, yeah, I don't care. I've never understood that because I, I, 
I'm deeply affected if someone says something awful about me. I hate it. Mainly because I start to wonder if it's true. Mm, Um, And it's not like I'm just bruised by it, but I go, oh, God, you know, am I an arsehole or am I whatever it might be? And it's hard because um, I do think on the Internet there's all the things that we know, which is like people are hiding behind a screen. They would probably never say that to your face. They probably wouldn't even necessarily think that if you were in front of them. But good luck keeping that in mind when it's an incredibly personal comment, you know? Well, I know, exactly. You have to you have to wonder about all these things. I thought you you talked about nakedness in the book in a way that I totally understood it. I wrote down the phrase because I loved it. You put in the book, strip yourself naked so it seems like no one else can strip you down. Hide nothing so that no one can use your secrets to hurt you. Mm. And I totally got that because I definitely do that with words. I tell everyone everything and I write everything in my books and I say everything in this space because I don't want there to be stuff that seemingly is uncovered waiting to be revealed so someone can go, oh, nobody knows this about you, mm. blah, blah, blah. I kind of want to purge and get it all out so it's it's out there. And I can I can see how in your industry, certainly, you're taking control. You're the one who's deciding to show your body. No mm. one's telling you to do it. And I think going back to the start of this conversation, so much of this is about control and and knowing who's well knowing that you're in control essentially mm-hmm. totally um overexposure is just something that I'm prone to I mean even with the podcast now I'm like this is so interesting I'm speaking you know most celebrities and people in general like try not to comment on every single thing because they you know it's it's not protective of yourself and I'm sort of like opening myself up even further than I did already with the book where I basically, you know, talk about some of the most traumatic experiences that I have I've had in my life and things that I'm ashamed of and, you know, exposing myself in a really serious way. But yeah, somehow um, exposing myself both physically and emotionally has always felt protective somehow. Like I'm doing, I'm ahead of it. No one can hurt me if I'm the one doing it. If I'm the one kind of like, bearing my soul um, because then there's just no secret. So yeah, but I, I guess it is about control. It is like, I'd rather be the one than other people, which, you know, has good and bad things to it. I don't know. I think it's a good thing. And I think mm. a lot of women feel like that, that they want to take control. And maybe that's also a generational thing because again, if I look to my grandparents, my neither of my grandmothers worked for large portions of my mum and my dad's childhood because mm. they kind of weren't allowed. It was like the 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 dads went to work yeah. and the mum's child reared. And I think we're still so new in this generation of women saying, well, I, I, I want to make up my mind and I, I want to take control. And we're still figuring it out because it's unbelievably complicated, obviously. And there's so many, there's so much judgment. Yes. There's so many questions to ask of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, um, we're still unpicking years and years of, you know, these strange gender roles that have, have played out for many, many years. So I think many of us feel like, yeah, I, I want to, I want to take control. That's, it's like an inherent need. Yeah. I mean, I think though, then we're, we find ourselves doing all the work and, and working yeah. overtime. I mean, I have to say like, as a single mother, as, you know, um, somebody starting a podcast, all these different things that I do in my relationships and also just providing for my family, essentially, it's pretty shocking how how much work I do. And I'm like, oh my God, is this good? Is this progress? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
I think about like those assigned roles and they, and I'm glad that they don't exist anymore, but I'm, I'm hoping that men step up to the plate now and, and figure out that they also need to, to provide in different ways, not just financially, they should, you know, also emotionally and do work around the house. And, you know, I think that it's really when, when we talk about equality, we need also, you know, men to do the things that women do in the household specifically. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is what I really hope with the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing. If we're in whatever space talking specifically about uh, females, the female body, sex, this isn't a conversation for all of us women to be going blah, 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 this, this and this. This is like this is stuff that everybody, you know, we want boys to understand this, men to understand this, to get in on the conversation, to be curious, to understand it better. We're still figuring it out, but it can't be an exclusively female conversation. And I think that's the only sort of problem is that men maybe think, oh, that's just women chatting about like women's stuff. And it's like, no, we need this to be a really broadly discussed um, conversation where everyone's coming from a place of curiosity, wanting to understand it better, how we can end up in this wonderful egalitarian society one day where there's equality and everybody's you know fairly treated and has opportunity and we're clearly so far from that in many other ways Mm. outside of gender yeah but I think it's it's really important that it's a a broadly discussed subject for all no I always say this I'm like sexism is bad for men too I mean toxic masculinity is look at the rate of suicide with young men look at how many men are going to college now Um, how many men are living with their parents, even like programs that are designed to help children succeed in poor, you know, economically affected neighborhoods, the girls succeed, the boys don't. I think that like we're watching the effects of basically repressing male emotion, like really hurt men. And that's scary. I'm raising a son. So I really think it's super important. I think, you know, we have to kind of approach men with empathy it's one of the things I love the most about bell hooks and her approach to thinking about these things it was like not at all man-hating it was very like we this is this is important for all everybody human beings in general and it starts in your household it starts in the debt power dynamics in your home and um, making sure that you know men can express themselves and be vulnerable and don't have to perform this certain type of masculinity that's that's really harmful for them as well yeah, without a doubt. You know, that is, that's what we need to be doing. And it, it, as you say, it starts young. And I think, um, like you alluded to earlier, the younger generations are a lot more savvy than we would hope to think about how they express themselves, the judgments they're not even aware of. You know, it's it's slowly filtering down through the generations, which is only a good thing. But, I feel that um, way too. It gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there is, there's there's loads of brilliant young people doing such game-changing, maverick-like work and it's, it's a wonderful thing. But I just, I, I love what you're doing. I can't wait to hear more episodes of your Thank podcast. You. I'm like, I'm tuned in, <laughs> ready for the next summer. Subject matter. Thank Can you, you tell us any other subject matters that you're going to be covering across the uh, the series? Yeah. So, um, I mean, what's fun is the, you know, obviously having these conversations with amazing guests is really important. But the solo episode that I'm calling Emrata Asks, I'm really enjoying because it feels sort of like somewhere between an essay that I would write for a book or a magazine and like a TikTok that I would make spur of the moment. Um so we're talking about, I told you, you know, can you be a feminist and get plastic surgery? Another one is about the ethics of privacy in the digital age, just like, you know, the way we photograph people, like, you know, you almost see people pull out a phone 
like as a weapon now on the streets. And um, I think with TikTok and like the way that we are consuming media, it's a question of ethics. And I relate that to the paparazzi. Um, we talk on one about attachment theory and um, <laughs> kind of like its relationship to horoscopes and love languages and our um, mm. kind of our desire to categorize people and to understand them and how we have to be sometimes wary of that or I guess the question is do we need to be wary of it or is it a good thing so there's there's lots of things I'm doing another one about self um, objectification so <laughs> we'll be running a, a lot of different topics through oh it's so brilliant I can't wait to hear the rest and and again thank you so much for for being on happy place today and hopefully we'll get to do this in the flesh one day yes I would love that thank you so much for having me it was really um, a pleasure to be here Do you know what? Since having that chat with Emily just last week, I have been thinking about this subject relentlessly. I've been thinking about my own past and the shame I've often felt. I've been thinking about how I express myself with clothes and makeup, how I think about myself sexually. Honestly, it's been like this thought has been woven into so many of my actions throughout the day. I... I've sort of become obsessed with thinking about it. There's so much still to unravel and to unpick and there's much more I want to learn. But I think it's a really healthy, brilliant conversation for us all to be having and I'd love to know what you all think too. By the way, Emily's podcast is out now, so go and listen. Emily, thank you so much for being on Happy Place today. If you want some more feminist chat, by the way, have a search for our episodes with Catelyn Moran and Amanda Decadne. They're both an absolute hoot, but they'll also really make you think. Okay, well, until next week, a massive thanks again to Emily, to the producer of this podcast, Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you, you wonderful people. I appreciate you so much. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.